Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. So I should be an expert in communication. <laughs> it is the highest expression, highest form of relationship, if that means that we can enhance, add to, direct, strategize even, optimize the relationship through communication, then we should be <laughs> quite adaptive. I don't know if we're most adaptive, I'm not sure that verbal communication, as we're doing right now on the podcast, is the highest measure of communication. In general, I think it helps but there's a lot to be said for nonverbal communication as well. And I should be good at that too, especially since my job would be the enhancement part of my job. Maybe the entirety of my job is about relationship. I think the entirety of life could be said to be about relationship. Even if you just looked at that transactionally, just some sort of reciprocity and exchange of one thing for another for the sake of adaptability, life, living. Maybe you're going to make it a matter too of, could make it a matter too of unconditional now that I think of it. Those are all conditional aspects of relationship, but even unconditional. Unconditional love, just the giving mutually so, without the notion of reciprocity, that is, still transactional, but of highest order of hopefully life, my job really puts me square in the middle of a lot of relationship. My relationship to my patient, but also my patient's relationship to the world social and otherwise environment, environment, cultural aspects of the natural environment, physical environment in which they live. So if I'm supposed to be an expert at communication, verbal and nonverbal, then people who come see me should be able to garner something from that and particularly as it might be turned to not only my relationship with them but in that modeling healthy communication styles strategies techniques to facilitate relationship psychology today january february of 2024 relationships subtitled love article entitled, How Do I Get My Partner to Open Up to Me? Strategies to Create Open Communication and Emotional Intimacy by Alexandra H. Solomon, Ph.D. A commonly asked relationship question is, how do I get my partner to open up to me? The pain housed within this question is poignant because intimate relationships are built on a foundation of intimacy. Relationship scientists have attempted to define intimacy in a number of ways. Here's a definition from family therapy researchers 
Lyman and Adele win. A relationship, or excuse me, a relational experience, which really is a relationship, that is characterized by mutual exchange and an ambience of proximity and engagement between two persons. Intimacy is about being able to open up to your partner and trusting that what you are sharing will be handled with respect and care. We yearn to be able to share our interiors with our partners, our hopes, dreams, fears, concerns, and questions. And we yearn for that same kind of access into our partner's inner world. Origin stories. There's something problematic, however, about the framing of this question. Whenever we ask, how can I get you to, we are subtly seeking control over another person. Here's a general reminder that the only people we have control over are ourselves. And the most we can ever do is set the table and hope that the other person will join us. Reframe the question and ask this constraint question instead. What is keeping my partner from opening up? Constraint questions plant the seed of possibility that things can be different by creating a hopeful frame around the problem. And they focus on or focus us on what is blocking the healthy response. Reflect on the question or ask your partner directly. Some common constraints to emotional vulnerability that I see in my work include gender role socialization. If your partner has been socialized as traditionally masculine, he likely learned early on to associate emotional vulnerability with weakness. While the amount he opens up may feel only may feel only an inch deep to you, to him, it may feel as deep as the ocean because it stands in stark contrast to his relational experiences. This is not an excuse, it is a context. I've seen men grow into vulnerability. Family of origin dynamics. If your partner is from a family that didn't do feelings, these muscles never developed. Again, this is a context. Marginalized identities. If your partner occupies one or more marginalized identities, they may well have had times when their vulnerable self-disclosures were dismayed, or excuse me, dismissed, disbelieved, or used against them. New strategies. How can you invite your partner into emotionally vulnerable conversations? Here are a few steps to follow. Go meta. Ask your partner when they would be available to give their full attention to a conversation with you. If vulnerability feels out of control for them, choosing the time and place for the conversation can help them feel as if they have some control. Set the scene. Reflect on the settings that tend to promote closeness and ease for the two of you. What time of day? What room of your home? 
start with short and sweet. A brief conversation that feels connecting is preferable to a long conversation that goes off the rails. Build on small victories. Celebrate progress, not perfection. When your partner does open up to you, even if it's brief, and even if it's simple, express gratitude. Tap the power triangulation. Intimate conversation can be easier when you're talking in response to something you have seen, read, or heard. When you bring in an outside source, you are inviting the two of you to explore together in response to some content. Let's use a scenario to illustrate how you can use these evidence-based tools. Let's say that Maria and Alex are navigating different viewpoints about how to discipline their kids. Go meta. After dinner, Alex asks Maria, would you be open to revisiting the conversation we began earlier about the kids? I want to make sure we're both in the right headspace before diving back into that. Set the scene. Maria lets Alex know that she isn't in the right headspace to tackle the issue tonight, but suggests that they take a walk the next morning in one of their favorite parks to work through it. Short and sweet. Alex and Maria spend some of their walking time or their walk talking, <laughs> walking time, well, it would be walking time, their walk talking about the issue. And since they know they can't fully resolve it in one go and have made a bit of progress, they allow themselves to talk about more lighthearted topics for the rest of their walk. They also make a commitment to continue the conversation soon. Celebrate progress. When Maria opened up about how her views on discipline and parenting are shaped in part by why she experienced or what she experienced growing up, Alex took a moment to thank her for sharing and being vulnerable. Triangulation. When Maria read a chapter of a parenting book that resonated with her, she let Alex know and invited him to read it as well. They then had a rich conversation about how the entry landed differently for each of them and what they took away from it. I hope that, like Alex and Maria, you can implement these strategies to improve the communication dynamic between you and your partner. Remember that little steps forward are worth celebrating and that all progress is progress. Again, under the Relationships section of Psychology Today, January, February of 2024, subtitled Love. <laughs> Article, How Do I Get My Partner to Open Up to Me? Strategies to Create an Open or to Create Open Communication and Emotional Intimacy by Alexandra H. Solomon, Ph.D., who, by the way, 
is a clinical psychologist and a clinical assistant professor at Northwestern University. Now, being an expert in communication and therein communication contributing to intimacies and relationship, look at it this way, you could say communication leads to communion. But being that expert, I should be able to then offer assistance and advice such as Alexandra did. And with that exampling, how that works, maybe it's step by step, maybe it's just in vivo, just kind of real-time communications, interactions while in the psychotherapy session and can do that not only individually, but as a couple or as a family, that enhances it. In vivo would also include possibly going out to, again, I mentioned once more, I mentioned the natural environment, social and physical earlier on in the podcast, but going into one's natural environment to where one lives in the world in which we occupy space and have necessity or reasons for communication. One of probably the easiest examples to think about as far as accessibility and application and maybe more common would be the workplace. I go out and conduct trainings in communication in the workplace. I go to individuals' offices. We can do that virtually, but it's not as effective, I don't think, as actually being in physical proximity, but it's the same type of intervention. But in all of that, and as much as I tried to do a bit of a setup to not only the article, but the podcast today, what we're gonna, what we would be speaking of, going to talk about on the podcast today, I mention that mostly as with external communication. But I don't want to be remit in that it is also a matter of internal communication. You have conversation with yourself, and in that same sort of a way, you can apply these same sort of strategies, or at least understand the importance of communication as with introspection, as with self-talk, going pretty much the same route as your communication styles, your skill sets, your strategies, your capabilities with others. And to the extent that that may be then not only for the sake of integrity, something quite adaptive or at least aspirational, If you hope to have emotional intimacy with others, I would believe you'd have to establish some degree of emotional intimacy within yourself. And that may be, should be, quite likely will be measured across at least two basic operational systems, emotions and thoughts. And what is communication in intuitive dimensions when we speak of nonverbals? It probably then goes at least more so toward the direction of emotional processing, empathy being understanding others' feelings, and in some sort of way communicating that that does not even require words, facial expressions, body posturing, 
proximity, those are all variables, but there are also intangibles, and one of those is just knowing the other person is in that common space with you and willing to share that space with you, and in that can feel quite comfortable with those feelings. The article did mention some families are better at that than others. And in the same sort of a way, that may be, some might say, the more deeper connections, communication, communion, relationship, even as Psychology Today put it, love. But to get there, I think, doesn't require any sort of verbal communication, but sometimes does require verbal communication in that it is a matter of logistics. And though cognition does not have to be absent, deeper implications, or even so be rightly connected to emotions, so that then there is the interpretation and with that possibly intention. I'd like for you to do this for me. <laughs> the article points that out too. Even as there is then this type of communication constraint question, it would not be necessarily to put up barriers, but to acknowledge them. But if intimacy is your goal, if communication you would want to lead to communion, and intimacy, once again, might be itself subject to various levels, depths, some more deeper, some lesser superficial. There's just a lot going on there. I would want to believe that for the sake of psychotherapy, most of those communications are going to encourage or enhance internal Self-talk, enhancing, improving, better, strategy to make it better, discovery, emotions, and thoughts, and then sharing those with others as would then reflect relationship at a couple's level or family level. Work? <laughs> Maybe not. Depending on your work, I suppose, it could be. That might be the more superficial aspects of that organizational. I should put it that way. In addition, work would be a, a subtype of an organizational sort of communication. Cultural communications. But nonetheless, if psychotherapy is about the intimacy then whatever I would do would be inclined to touch upon or brush upon the emotional and then leave us to an interpretation then for the sake of now completion or fullness of the entirety of the experience, the exchange. They're in the meaning. They're in the impact. They're in, again, working together which really I haven't said yet, but it's true. Highest level of communication, communion, correlates greatly with adaptability. Again, I mentioned once more, I mentioned adaptability at the beginning of the podcast, but not necessarily 
as directly as I am at this moment to this end. That it not only makes life qualitatively better, but it also just in a very basic way begins with quantity. Adaptability is then facilitation of relationship to the end of life. And not only life, but more life and better life. Emotional, as well as thoughts. But nonetheless, it's a complete package. And it's one of those types of things that if you do it well, you may not even realize it's being done or you're doing it. Once more, I'm not sure how well the podcasts are received. I know my intentions. I know how I am structuring the communication. And in this particular form of communication, I don't even have the advantage of physical proximity. I can't reach your nonverbals. I have to rely solely upon my ability to capture concepts, communicate them in some sort of cognitive or thought-oriented way. But I would hope that there is some element of emotion that does get communicated. And if I can accomplish that on the podcast, then as the master of communication, I should be, or a master communicator, for the sake of rapport, which is another one of those terms I've not used in the podcast today, but is commonly associated with psychotherapy, psychological counseling, the entirety of the experience. I should be, at some level, resonating with you and would want that. And then using, taking advantage of, the physical proximity, the nonverbals, I should do that better individually. And as we're doing that in dyad, two of us, (laughs) rapport, relationship external, Outside of yourself, myself. At the same time, though, there's a parallel process that's occurring where you're talking to yourself. And that's a lot. <laughs> you can break it down, even as the article does, into steps and strategies. And I think there's utility in that. I think there's utility in identifying weaknesses. I think there's utility in fostering, encouraging growth in those skill sets that we see as weakness after our initial sort of analysis, or even as we're in vivo, whether it's in the office or outside the office, going through an actual communication experience exchange. Much of that will be intuitively beyond thought or at least conscious thought. Not introduce that on the podcast. There's many things that we communicate or do in the way of communication that's subconscious. That we're not even aware of. We can elevate them to the level of conscious awareness. Which is not necessarily, again, always dismissive of depth or importance or significance in that depth sort of way, intimacy sort of way, but it is a bit more exterior or superficial. It's another aspect of communication 
just what we project in terms of these are all nonverbals which we have mentioned, but how we look, how we conduct ourselves. It can be very complicated. But the good news is that even if I'm a master communicator and you may not feel like you are communicator, master in communications, and you may feel like you're not, intuitively all are social creatures and that's why relationship is so important. That's why most of psychotherapy is about that, enhancing communication for the sake of communion, relationship, why the article even subtitles it love, because everything that has to do with quality and quantity, again, in life or of life, comes back in that directly correlated way to relationship. Can be defined in all of these various ways. But the good news is we're social creatures and innately we're programmed for that. And should we then really look at this in terms of constraint questions, removing barriers? Maybe the first barrier that needs to be removed is thinking that we have to make it happen as much as we then, at that most basic of levels, allow it to happen. My experiences with communication, personally as well as professionally, would be that most individuals constrain themselves and can really foul up what is genetically so pre-programmed in them. You could argue there's some conditions spectrum, autism spectrum, ASD, Asperger's, what we used to call or term Asperger's, represents a genetic deficiency. And though I believe that there is such a thing, obviously, research is proven. How could you be dismissive of Asperger's autism spectrum? But I don't know that it predominates, and even with ASD, there's a lot that can be done to enhance, remove constraints. But the biggest is to not be afraid. And most people are afraid at that most basic level because it's not been about love. It's been about harm. It's been opening up, being intimate, Revealing oneself, being vulnerable, wanting, desiring to connect, and in that being harmed, and shutting down. Pulling within oneself, isolating, disconnecting from not only the social dynamic of relationships, But all of those things about adaptability, quality and quantity of life, maybe all psychopathology is a breakdown in relationship. And why at the beginning of the podcast we noted that. That's what, what did we note? That's what psychotherapy might all be about. But most sickness, malady has a social dimension. And whether it's by choice, consciously, (laughs) subconsciously, which still remains a choice, possibly genetically, 
biochemically even. It is always good to facilitate not only communication, rapport, social connections, but for the sake of the love, which is by itself, in and of itself, by itself, a biochemical phenomenon, which is really good for the body. All of the neurotransmitters that go into love are also the same neurotransmitters that go into general health, mental health, physical health, overall health. So, if you can communicate well with yourself and those people around you and in that then hopefully establish as best rapport as can and can take into possibly at times a conscious awareness as many of as many of these factors as we've identified today that goes into either good communication, bad communication, intimacy, superficiality, what the situation, circumstance calls for. All of that's important. But if you're not a good communicator, then you're probably going to have associated psychological, sociological difficulties that can become physiological and can not only influence the psychological through the physiology of neurotransmitters, biochemistry, bodily biochemistry, but general health overall. Kind of makes it important, doesn't it? And as much as, again, the article tries to capture anything, it is just that, at least for me, that you have to be aware of that, and that's your primarily your best strategy, is don't be in denial. (laughs) Don't be avoidant. Don't be shut down, and should you be recognized, that's not going to be good. And if there is a progressive dimension, which there is, to psychological disease and disorder, it's going to get worse. Which is why we do the podcast, (laughs) to assist, help raise your awareness, encourage you if you should then believe as much we've shared information, brought you to a belief that you could benefit from assistance to seek it out. Why I read to you from psychology today. And no, it's not the most stringent of scientific journals. But for most of us, myself included, it's not necessarily a light read. It's a palpable one. I enjoy it. We can have these conversations without getting into so much of the statistical analysis the research methodology, the construct, how, how the research was conducted, that we get lost in the weeds. And we can fit it into, hopefully, a half hour. I say hopefully because it doesn't always go so neatly, but for the most part, there's a rhythm to it. And for those of you who have listened to the podcast before, you know, there's a bit of rhythm to it. And we usually end about this moment, our place of time, dimension of time. 
You can come see someone like me. You can find them on the Psychology Today website under the directory. They're vetted, whether it's virtual or in person. You can find a provider who is at least minimally so licensed and certified. And there is sufficient disclosure that it lets you know, (laughs) the directory, what you might expect going into the situation. You can also reach out to me should you want to. You can call me at 304-523-9673, which is Word. You can also find me at thewordhouse.com. Email me at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. And find us, me, at Wordhouse on Facebook as well as YouTube. And of course, you can and should, at least my opinion, always come back and join us for the next edition of Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. And until we get that chance to meet again, I want to wish you the best of not only good mind health, but just general health. Thanks.